Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 64th program in this series. I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and beginning in verse 1, it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover, and he stopped in Bethany in order to visit with his friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. He had resurrected Lazarus in the previous chapter, So they did have a lot to talk about, and in the previous program I mentioned that this would be some interesting dinner conversation between Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, and he went out of town, and then Jesus has returned, and there could be a number of things that he and Lazarus could talk about. In the previous message, I mentioned that this could be an opportunity for humor, that Lazarus could say, hey, you know, Jesus, I died already once, and you resurrected me, and now I'm going to have to die again. I already went through that before, and you resurrected me, so now I'm going to have to go through it again. And this could be a form of humor, an opportunity to make a joke out of the situation. But there were other things that they could have discussed. For example, now that Lazarus has really got in touch with his mortality. He has discovered that life can be short. He died, he got sick, and it killed him. This is not unusual, it happens to people all the time. And yes, he is going to die again. He's going to endure that again. But now that he has experienced that kind of a transition, has he given some thought to what his life is going to be about Between now and the time when he does die again, what will be the things that he finds to be important? How will his values change? How will he use his time differently? These are some things that Lazarus could very well have been thinking about. And he could have a conversation with Jesus about this, about how his perspective of life would have changed because of what he went through. Another thing that they would most likely be talking about is the consequences that Jesus is going to have to experience because of what he did, because he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. Because he did this, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they decided that Jesus was a substantial threat to them, their position, and to the people at large, to the whole nation, Because people were turning to the Lord Jesus, they were believing in him, and there was great risk that the Romans would respond, and they would respond with war 
in order to solve this problem, in order to make sure that there is not a rebellion that could result in the Romans losing their power, losing their influence there in the land. And so the religious leadership, the religious leaders there in Jerusalem made the decision that because Jesus is resurrecting people from the dead, and a lot of people are turning to him because of that miracle and many others, they have made the decision that they are going to find a way to seize Jesus and murder him, try to find some way to have this guy put to death. This would be something that Lazarus and Jesus would likely have a conversation about, because this is a big deal. Jesus has resurrected Lazarus from the dead, but he has put his own life in danger by doing so. And I believe that this was a big part of the conversation that took place during this supper. And the reason why I believe it was a major part of the conversation is because of verse 3. Continuing into verse 3, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. What she was doing was she was anointing him. She was anointing him and preparing him for the death that he was about to experience. He probably told them, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, and yes, they're going to seize me, and they are going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. That's what we're going to do next. And this is what Mary did in response. Now, if you look down to verse 7, John chapter 12, verse 7, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. He explained that this was a way that Mary was anointing him with recognition that he was about to die. This was also a way for her to have some kind of connection with the Lord Jesus. She wiped the oil with her hair, and there was a fragrance in the oil. So the fragrance was found on his feet, and the fragrance was found in her hair. This was something that was not going to go away anytime soon. This was a way for Mary to feel a sense of connection with the Lord Jesus, and he also could sense a connection with Mary. When he would depart from the home there, he would go into Jerusalem, he would still have the fragrance coming off of his feet, and he would remember Mary. And Mary would not likely be in his presence, but she would remember him, because the fragrance is also in her hair. And so this was an opportunity for Mary to have a connection, a personal connection with Jesus, with something that was highly valued. Judas mentioned its value in verse 4. In John chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This is what Judas decided to say in response to what Mary did. What he revealed was that this oil was worth about 300 denarii, which is about a full year's wages. How much money a person might earn in a year on average. So this was considered to be a lot 
of value, a lot of wealth, and this belonged to Mary. It was hers, and she decided to spend it in this way. It was hers. She decided to use it in this manner, and that is acceptable. Everyone should have the freedom to do whatever they want with their own property, with what belongs to them. Judas complained and said, "You know, we could have done something else with this. We could have used this in order to help the poor." And he's right; they probably could have helped the poor. He did have an alternate motive, which is described in verse six. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it, and so Judas was supposedly making this assertion because he wanted to have a portion of the value of this oil, of this perfume, and that he really didn't care about the poor at all. But we're not absolutely certain that this was what he was thinking. Yes, it could be that the disciples figured out that he was stealing from the money box, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he would do that on every occasion. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't care about the poor at all. He might very well care about the poor to some extent, and so this is a description of how John felt about Judas. And I'm not saying that this isn't true. I'm just stating that there could be some other possibilities. The oil was not sold. Judas did not steal from the proceeds of the sale of the oil. These things did not happen. So John may have an opinion, and it may very well be correct, but that's not what happened. That's not what took place. Now, in giving to the poor, this may not necessarily help the poor. You have to be careful when you are giving to someone who is in need. First of all, there's nothing inherently wrong with being poor. If a person is poor. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have a problem that has to be solved. I have known many people who were very poor, and yet they were very happy, pleasant people. They had a simple life, and they enjoyed their life. As for myself, I'm quite old at the time that I'm doing this recording. I have lived many years, and the majority of the years that I have lived. I lived in poverty. I have spent most of my life being relatively poor. I know what it's like to be poor, and yet I found joy. I found happiness. I found ways of living a pleasant life, and I never felt that my poverty was a problem that needed to be solved. I did work. I worked hard. And I learned how to do new things, and then when I was able to do new things, I was compensated more for the labor that I engaged in, and so I was able to make improvements in my life. And I certainly enjoyed those improvements. But if one day I find myself back in a state of absolute poverty, I'm not going to see that as a problem, or that this describes failure in my life in some way. I know personally. Through my own living experiences, that the joy of life is not really found in wealth; it is found in living a life of peace. And sometimes the things that we may accumulate to ourselves can become a greater burden in our lives 
to the extent that they can take away from our peace and happiness because of the necessity to maintain these things, to house these things, and wealth can get in the way of giving us opportunities to interact with other people through engaging in commerce and in business and in doing work for others. There are some obstacles that people can find in their lives when they have a tremendous amount of wealth. Now, in addition to that, there are some people who, if you give them wealth, if you give them value or money of some kind, this may not necessarily help them. Most people, in general, will just go out and spend it. They will use it for the indulgence of their flesh. Now, there are some things that can be good, and I don't want to take away from all of those things that a person could spend their money on and improve their quality of life, at least for a short period of time. But my point in mentioning this is that it will be for a short period of time. You will give them some wealth, they will go use it, and then they will return to their state of poverty. There is a big difference between a person who will use wealth for a temporary indulgence and another person who will use this wealth in order to improve their ability to generate more wealth. In other words, if you give a poor person an amount of money that they can use in order to go on a vacation or buy some stuff that they would really like to have and enjoy as a form of recreation, or they could have a few really nice meals. If you give a poor person money for these kinds of things, when they have spent this money, they will have nothing. They will have nothing to show for it. But if you were to give a poor person some wealth that they would use in order to get some education, for example, they could learn a new skill, now they have the ability to engage in some work that has higher value and they can improve their quality of life because they can do something for other people that has greater value than what they were doing before. This is how you can genuinely help someone in a way that can be longer lasting. Now, again, there are lots of opportunities to help people with things that are temporary in nature. And those can be good things. I don't want to take away from those kinds of things. I'm only explaining this in order to say that sometimes when you try to help a person, you might not necessarily be helping them. You might be encouraging them to not learn how to do more things. You might be encouraging them to not increase their capital, increase their ability to do more work or to do work of greater value. You might be encouraging them to not do these things because they could make the assumption that you are giving them something now. It probably won't be very long before someone else gives them something as well. Maybe in a little while you'll give them something more and that's how they will live their lives. They will live their lives by being poor, and by looking for other people to just give to them because they are poor. That's not helping a person. And I believe that everyone should exercise some wisdom when it comes to giving to others. So going back to John chapter 12, verse 4, then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, 
Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Then in verse 7, But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Verse 8, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus explained that you're always going to have poor people around you, but you're not going to have Jesus for very long, not in the way that he was present in their lives at this time. So continuing into verse 9, this is John chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. All right, so there were a great many Jews who knew where he was. But at the end of chapter 11, it says that the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. A lot of people knew where he was. He wasn't keeping it a secret. He did go out of town for a while after he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. But now he's back. Now he's back in Bethany and people know that he's there. And so they go. They go not just to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. Now, they could have gone to see Lazarus before Jesus arrived. They chose to go see him because they would be able to see Jesus also. And you also had a lot of people who were coming in from the countryside. A lot of people were coming in from out of town. They heard what happened. They wanted to go see for themselves. And so there were new people who went to go and investigate on their own to see for themselves if what they heard was true. And they decided not to report Jesus to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Or the chief priests and the Pharisees knew where he was and they made a decision to not try and seize him under these conditions, which is more likely. They probably did know because there were so many people who were going to investigate themselves. So they probably did find out and they recognized that this was not an appropriate scenario. This was not a good opportunity for them to actually seize him. But then in verse 10, it says, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. This was what they decided. So they didn't go and seize Jesus when they probably would have heard about where he was. But now they're going to add to their plot, you know, I think we're going to have to kill Lazarus also. Now, I can just imagine what this conversation would have sounded like. You've got all of these religious leaders assembled together, and they are conspiring to commit murder. That's what they're doing. This is their decision. This is important to them. And they believe that in this way, they are going to be the saviors of Israel. They're going to save the nation from the Romans who are going to come and wage war against the people 
the Romans are going to come and remove them from their positions of authority and put somebody else in their place who will solve these problems before the Romans have to solve these problems. This is what's going on. And these guys are assembled together, and I can just imagine them talking about Jesus and Lazarus. It might sound something like this. Well, now we have to be careful, because the reason why we have decided that we are going to find a way to murder Jesus and Lazarus is because Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. So we have to be careful here. We have to be careful and make sure that we do these murders in the proper order. Because if we murder Lazarus before Jesus, well, Jesus might just resurrect him from the dead again. And then matters are going to be much worse than how they are now. So if we're going to do this, we need to make sure that we murder Jesus first. You know, we got to get him first so that when we kill Lazarus, nobody can resurrect Lazarus. When we kill him, he will be dead once and for all. This is the kind of conversation that these guys would have had to have when you consider what's going on. But, you know, they really should think about what they intend to do to Jesus a little bit more. This is the guy who is resurrecting people from the dead. If they really try to seize him, this guy who obviously has enormous power, they might find themselves in a situation that they don't want to be in. They could find themselves to be in a situation where they feel quite uncomfortable. This is one of the reasons why later, when Jesus is seized, it's the Romans who participate in the arrest. Because the religious leaders know full well that this guy might resist. And if he does, they could find themselves in serious trouble. So let's get the Romans to do it. If we can get the Romans to do it and he resists, well, that's between him and the Romans and we're not involved. But if they succeed, and they succeed in performing or participating in an execution, this guy might very well raise himself from the dead. If he resurrects himself, now you're going to have new problems. And that's exactly what happened. What happened was, was that they tried to murder the guy who's resurrecting people, and he resurrected himself. And then, sure enough, things got worse for them, worse in the sense that now he is able to resurrect anyone from the dead spiritually through the restoration of the Holy Spirit. He invokes a new covenant. And through the new covenant, he can resurrect anyone who is willing to surrender to him in accordance with the new covenant that has been defined by God so that people can be born again by the Spirit of God, be made into children of God, and have a new relationship with the living God because of what Jesus accomplished for them. So again, in verse 10, John chapter 12, verse 10, But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So these religious leaders most likely knew where they were, knew where Jesus was, and they knew where Lazarus was. They could have gone to get them, but they didn't do it. Probably because they understood and they knew 
that they did not have a legitimate reason to go and seize Jesus. The public would see what was going on. It would be totally obvious that this was totally inappropriate, that there was no legitimate reason for seizing Jesus and finding some way to have him executed. And Jesus knew this. So he was there in Bethany. They could have gone there to go get him, but they didn't do it. They put out the word saying, tell us where he is so we can go get him. Well, there were enough people who knew where he was. Somebody could have told the leaders where he was and they could have gone to get him. But they didn't. So on the next day, Jesus went to them. Jesus went right into Jerusalem. He didn't sneak in. He wasn't hiding. It wasn't even the Passover yet. And Jesus went right into Jerusalem in a public way. It was a way of saying, go ahead, show these people who you really are, what you're really about. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 64th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I took some time in this program to speak about the anointing that Mary did with the fragrant oil. I spoke about the subject of giving to the poor. And I also spoke about the conspiracy that the religious leaders had engaged in in order to try to find a way to seize Jesus and have him killed. Now, they told the people to report to them if they knew where Jesus could be found. Now, since a lot of people knew where Jesus and Lazarus were located, the leaders had every opportunity to go and seize Jesus in Bethany, but they didn't. And so on the next day, Jesus went right into Jerusalem in a public way. And I will explain this more in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you